This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Yeah, if you have your Bible, turn please to uh, Ruth. Ruth, the most one of the most difficult books in the Bible to find, but I guarantee you it's in there, hasn't moved. So find the book of Ruth. Right, okay. And as you find that, we're gonna be in uh, chapter four, really toward the end of the book here this evening. Let's first of all pray. Father, as we now open this book, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts. As we, Lord, study We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit to us to make known your words to us, and we thank you for that tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now Ruth chapter four, verse one, we're gonna read here. We're picking up this history, or kind of in the middle, we'll explain in the middle, but here we go. Ruth chapter four, verse one. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there, and behold, a kinsman whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, Oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which is our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance, redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, now, we're here in the middle of this history, and at this point in the history of Ruth here, Boaz has assured Ruth that he's gonna do all that he can to be able to marry her. 
which comes along, well, it's really, it's the other way around. He buys a field from Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and with that field, he gets the right to marry Ruth, which he wants to do. So this is what we're, what we're doing. We're picking up the history at this point where Boaz now has gone to the gate probably very early in the morning, and he's going there to meet this man who has, who's really standing in the way between him and Ruth and him being able to marry Ruth because this man has the first right to be able to buy the, the field and marry Ruth. So the gate here where we're at right now is where all the legal transactions were made. So Boaz has taken his seat at the gate and he's waiting there for the man to come. And so as he's waiting there, that's what we see here when it says in verse one, then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there and behold the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here, and he turned aside and he sat down. So that's where we're at. So the man comes, and Boaz now, he's swinging into action, and he's doing this negotiation with this kinsman. But what's amazing here is that there's a lot of work that's going on. This is the work of negotiating so that he gets the right to marry Ruth, and Ruth is not there. Ruth is back home. She's sitting back there, as her mother-in-law, Naomi, told her, sit thou still until thou see how the matter will fall. So she's sitting back at home with Naomi. That's where Ruth is. And she doesn't know what's going on here as Boaz was working so hard to be able to marry her. Eventually, she's going to find out, but only after Boaz has finished his work of negotiation. And while Boaz negotiating here, Ruth's not here. She, like I said, she's back there with Naomi. As a matter of fact, so the next time that she sees Boaz, he's going to tell her all about the work that he went to do. You think about that. That's a picture for us of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were not present when the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. We had no knowledge of, obviously, that he was dying for our sins. You know, this Friday, we're going to be celebrating Good Friday. That happened 2,000 years ago. But we were, we were described when this all took place by Romans 5, verse 8. Romans 5, verse 8, it says, but God commendeth. He really showed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When God loved us and the Lord Jesus Christ died for us, we were blissfully ignorant of what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing. We were running away from God. The Lord Jesus Christ died for us, and he was not in any of our thoughts at all. And as a matter of fact, we're described as yet sinners. That's our description, yet sinners. We're described as sheep going astray. We just sang a hymn about, about the Lord as a gentle shepherd lead us. We were sheep going astray according to Isaiah 53.6. Isaiah 53.6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. What's the implication there? While we were going astray, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, that was the greatest event in eternity when the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We didn't know. We didn't even know. We knew nothing about it. It was all done, and we learned what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us after he paid for our sins on the cross. And that's a picture that we have here of Ruth. So uh, Boaz now is encountering this near kinsman here, and isn't the Bible great 
when it gives us the exact words that Boaz spoke to the kinsman when he says, you know, ho, such a one, turn aside. I mean, Boaz sees this one. He says, ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. When we look at Boaz here, see a man that's got confidence, he's got assurance, and he's firm, but he's not obnoxious. He's not, Boaz is not obnoxious. He's also not timid, but he's not obnoxious. So here's this man. He stands right in the way of him and, 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 and Ruth, of being able to marry Ruth. And Boaz is not nervous. He's not shy. He's not hesitating. He's just confident in the Lord. He's confident that the Lord is not going to withhold any good thing from him. And if Ruth is a good thing for him, then the Lord's not going to withhold Ruth from him. That's a picture of a, that's a picture for us here of how we should pray. It's a picture for how we should pray. How should we pray? The first thing we need to do in prayer, we come, we come in prayer and like this. We say, I really want this. Now I'm gonna really, I'm gonna, gonna nudge God until he gets me what I want. That's not the way to do it. The first thing we should do in prayer is give ourselves to discern, number one, discern what is the will of God in this? What does God want in this? That's our first job. Discern what God's will is. Second, the next job in prayer is to want what God wants, to desire what God wants. He will give you the desires of your heart and, and provided that you they line up with God's desires. And then third is to pray, believing that the will of God will be done. This is all what he meant when he said in, in Mark eleven twenty four. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And it's just like Boaz. He runs into this obstacle of this man who's first in line to buy the field and marry Ruth. And when we hit an obstacle, he tells us, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us, don't just give up. Don't just turn away and say, oh, well, it must not be the will of God. Forget about it. No. He gives us an example, the Lord Jesus does, in Luke 11.9. In Luke 11.9, he says this, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Do you see, when you listen to that verse there, what he's saying, do you hear the ratchet, the ratcheting up? of it, you know, we start off by asking and then we run into an obstacle, we ratchet it up, and then we're now seeking, and then that doesn't produce for us, so we ratchet it up, and now we're knocking. And so when the Lord wants to use an example of persistence and not giving up, what picture does he turn to? A woman. <laughs> when a woman wants something, you might as well give in because she's not gonna stop until she gets it. And that's the example that the Lord Jesus uses to, so we can see the picture in Luke 18, Luke 18, 1. Luke 18, 1, a very special woman there. It says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. Here's the reason why he spoke this parable. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. And so now you can explain to us what it means to always pray and not to faint. And he's gonna use the woman saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary, and he would not, 
for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, Oi, he didn't say oi, but he could say oi, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Okay, what's that saying? She's going to wear me out. I'm going to just give her what she wants because then she'll stop. All right, then he said, the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he be long with them? So this is what we see in Boaz. Boaz is not going to take no for an answer. And so Boaz, now he, he, he needs some witnesses, so he gathers together. He wants to make this a public transaction. So he, he gets 10 elders of the city. He's probably an elder himself, but he gets 10 other elders of the city. And so now he's gotten these 10 elders of the city together, and he says, sit down here, and they sat down, and we could just picture this scene. Boaz may have had the 12 chairs all set up in advance. We don't know, but there he is. He's sitting there with the kinsmen. He's sitting there with the 10 elders, and now Boaz is ready to speak to the kinsmen there and the 10 elders there are witnesses, and we just picture the scene. It's so clear before our eyes. He's got everyone seated. And Boaz now turns to the kinsman, and he says in verse three, he said to the kinsman, Naomi, that's come again out of the country of Moab, sells a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech. See, Boaz explains that, you know, Naomi, she needs money. She needs money. And she's intending to sell the property of her deceased husband, Elimelech. Now, Okay, so what? No, no, it is a big deal. Because the way real estate worked in Israel is not the way it's viewed today. You know, today, what is it? You buy low, you sell high, and you make money. That's not the way it was. Property was not viewed that way in Israel. Because when Israel entered into the land for the first time, God very specifically divided up the land to the Jewish people by their tribes so that within each tribe, each parcel of land was divided to families. He didn't want the land to to go to one person who had a lot of money and then he, and he would take all the land or the Arab people. Even today, as we found out, uh, 93% of the land of Israel is owned by the government. Why? It's because they want to make sure that it stays a Jewish homeland so that Jews should only buy the land of Israel there. And so, so we found this out because we go to buy a, a property there and so we find out that, okay, 93% of the land is owned by the state of Israel, and you have to be an Israeli to buy the land, or you have to be Jewish, <laughs> and you have to sign an affidavit that you intend to move and live there. <laughs> and you have to be Jewish with the right to become an Israeli citizen, okay? Because if both your parents are Jewish and you were baptized, you cannot become a citizen. So but that's 93% of the land, very similar today as it was then. Okay, so, but, so that means that only 7%, 93% of the land is that way. Only 7% is private, and those rules don't apply. They found this beautiful house, and I prayed, Lord, if you want us to have that house, make it part of the 7% that's on private land. And it was... <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Ruth. I'm sorry. So I, no, sorry. No, I kind of, anyway. So it was very important for a family to have their land, not have it leave their family. They should work their land. They should live off the land. 
and they should have it for their children to work and live off the land. That's the way it was. The land had to stay with the family, and if a parcel of land was sold, then at the Jubilee year, it returned back to the family so that families would not be snuffed out in terms of owning land there. And if a man died and he had no children, then it was expected that his brother would take his widow and have children with her, and the land would stay in this deceased man's name, and the children would be counted as the deceased man's children, and then the land would stay with the family name. And in the rare event that there would be no male children born, then the land could actually, in the rare case, transfer to the man who bought it, and it would, it would discontinue under the old family's name. And go. So that's the way it was. So when Boaz told Elimelech's kinsmen that Naomi intended to sell a parcel of land, that meant that the land would was potentially, because, you know, he's thinking, well, you know, no, no male children. Hmm, this is an opportunity of a lifetime here, he's thinking. And since Naomi is too old to have children, and Elimelech had no male children, this kids that were alive, this kinsman assumed that there's no way for Elimelech's family to continue on. So he thought, the land is gonna become part of my family's property. And this is how Boaz is presenting this good deal to him in verse four when he says, I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there's none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. So, so far in this proposal, Boaz has only talked about the land, and he's presented this as an offer that's too good a deal to pass up. It's going to increase his property. In fact, the way that Boaz presents this offer to the kinsman, it's masterful. It's just masterful. He presents this to him as a really good deal. It's a secret. It's a hot tip. It's something that it's very interesting in the Hebrew because in verse four, when it says, I thought to advertise thee, I thought to advertise thee, which when we read that in English, we're not even sure what he meant by that. But anyway, what it's really saying in the Hebrew, it's got two words in there. It's got a Hebrew word for uncover and a Hebrew word for ear. So what he's really saying there is, is that I came to uncover the ear. I came to uncover your ear. That in Israel, you know, long hair and a beard was honorable. That's the way it was, you know. So what it means here is that I want to remove the hair from your ear so that I can tell you a secret. I can, I can whisper a secret in your ear. So Boaz is saying that he wants to whisper a secret. This is a really great opportunity here for this kinsman to get a great deal, and he can have more property all become his. And so then we can see Boaz encouraging him, like pushing him to go for it. When it's available, he says, you know, in verse 4, buy it, buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people. And we can picture all the 10 elders nodding their heads and say, yep, wow, mm, good deal, opportunity. You should grab it, rare opportunity. Opportunity like that only knocks once, go for it. So this is the scene. And now we see how Boaz is now telling the kinsmen that this opportunity, it might slip away, you know, it might slip away because, you know, I'm next in line. And so he says in verse four, if thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, tell me that I may know, for there's none to redeem it besides me, and I, besides thee, and I'm after thee. So at this point, we would say to Boaz, Boaz, what are you doing? What are you doing? You've just presented this man with this incredibly good deal. He's about to jump for it. You're gonna lose Ruth. Do you know what you're doing? 
but he knows exactly what he's doing because then, and so he takes this bait in verse four and he said, I will redeem it. This is Boaz's plan because Boaz wants to draw out the greed of this, this kinsman because the, the design of the laws of property were really never designed for self-enrichment. It was always a service. It was always a ministry to keep the property in the name of the family of the deceased. But this kinsman doesn't have any interest in that, and he doesn't have any interest in ministering or in serving that the property can remain in the name of the deceased person. He's only thinking of himself. It's only thinking of this is a great deal would be for himself. So this kind of plays along with Boab. Let me uncover your ear so I can tell you the secret. He's played to this man's interest in self-enrichment. And it's like Boaz is fishing, and he's moving the bait, and he's luring this man in like a fish, and the, and the man has responded, I will redeem it. Now that he's drawn out this man's hunger for self-enrichment, Boaz now draws on this man's greed to the surface, and Boaz, he drops this bombshell with this, oh, by the way, <laughs> comment. He says in verse five, then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So now Boaz is saying, oh, by the way, when you buy the field, you must also marry Ruth to raise up the name of the dead of his inheritance. And from that, Boaz has just jabbed him with four painful barbs. And here they are. The first painful barb is that Boaz is jabbed him with him when he says in verse five, what day thou buyest the field? See, here Boaz is saying, I know you want to buy the field, and today's a great day to buy the field, but on the very day that you buy the field, you have to marry Ruth, because Ruth goes along with the field, and Naomi is too old to marry, and Elimelech's sons have died with no children. Ruth is the closest child-bearing relative to Elimelech to raise up seed from Elimelech. So you've got, so have a great life, married to Ruth, you know, you know, he's saying, I promise that I'll attend your wedding. I'll be right there. I'll throw the rice, you know. Uh, now, we can just picture this kinsman kind of, uh, this kinsman kind of cringing at the thought with these words on the very day. One thing men don't like, they don't like to be forced into a marriage, <laughs> it's especially, a, and so, and, and by the way, I say something about the Bible. The books of the Bible are written by men. They're all written by men. And, and if a woman was pretty, the Bible points out specifically that woman was pretty, all right? I mean, Sarah was pointed out specifically as being pretty in Genesis 12, 14. Genesis 14, it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, and she was very fair. I mean, she was pretty. And Rebecca, she was pointed out as being particularly beautiful, it says in Genesis 24, 16, Genesis 24, 16, the damsel was very fair to look upon. A virgin, neither man known her, and when she went down the well. Fair to look upon means she wasn't an eyesore, all right? So, and Rachel, she was pointed out to be beautiful. In Genesis 29, 17, Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. So the Bible points out when a woman is pretty, when a woman is beautiful, there's no mention of Ruth that she was particularly beautiful. But Boaz loved Ruth and he wanted to marry her, not because Ruth was outwardly pretty, outwardly beautiful, but Boaz treasured something in Ruth which he spoke of in Ruth 3.11. Boaz said to Ruth, and now my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that requires. 
For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.